Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 22 is the text. Abraham's test, God's reality. Genesis chapter 22. So we're continuing to move through the book of Genesis. And here we are going to come to what is a familiar passage to many of you, but it's a passage that is so incredible. Your faith is going to be tested. Your faith is going to be on trial. Your faith will go through fires. That's one thing that you can take to the bank. I don't like tests personally. I've told you in previous messages, when people pray for patients, I release my hand from them. (laughs) We actually used to have, uh, I used to minister with a youth pastor, and I was one of the youth sponsors way back in the day at a church in Orange, and when his wife felt like things were too calm in her life, she would actually pray for storms. And I was like, what in the world are you thinking, girl? Do not, <laughs> don't pray for storms. Enough of them come as it is. But she felt that she needed storms when things were getting too comfortable in her life. And we've been watching Abraham on this faith journey. And for the most part, we'd have to say that he's been a pretty much a giant of the faith. He has passed a lot of tests. I mean, after all, God asked him to go to a land that he would show him. Would you do that? No directions, just trust me. Go to a land that I will show you. And then Abraham was told that he was going to have a child of promise from his own body. And he had to wait, and he had to wait, and he had to wait. And then he tried to rush things along, and then God said, no, the child is not just going to be from your body, it's going to be from your wife's body as well. And she was well beyond childbearing age. And yet he continued to trust God by faith. He had his blunders. He sometimes got in God's way. Sometimes he lied, as we saw, to the king of Egypt and the king, uh, king Abimelech. And yet God continued to move into his life and move in mighty ways. And in the last chapter, we saw finally the promise is realized. And the birth of the son of promise comes, and his name is Isaac. And his name means, you remember? Laughter. And so joy and laughter filled the hearts of uh, Abraham and filled the heart of Sarah. And I'm sure the camp was laughing. And I even mentioned to you that I think heaven was smiling. Maybe even laughter filled the halls of heaven. God does laugh. And God delights in bringing his promises to pass, but he does it in his way and in his time. The son of promise has come. And in the last chapter, we saw that There was a weaning party, if I can put it that way. Little Isaac is about three years old. Abraham throws a big party. And Ishmael, who's a teenager at this point, is seen by Sarah mocking the little guy. You remember that? And so Sarah gets upset and says, send the bondwoman away. And that indeed is what happened. But Abraham's brokenhearted over that. But as Ishmael goes off, Ishmael represents the flesh and Isaac represents the spirit. We can do things in our flesh. We can try to rush the plan of God. We can try to manipulate things. Some of us are really good at that. 
or we can wait on God. So Abraham had to wait. He had to wait decades for this promise to come to pass. And then Ishmael went away, and Hagar went away, and Isaac was there. And I'm sure there were a lot of good days. I'm sure there was a lot of blessed times as uh, Abraham got to watch this miracle in his home. Every time he called him, Isaac, he would say, laughter, come here. Every time he told him a story or shared something about God, there was a reminder that God is a God who brings joy to our lives. But now something happens. Some time has gone by, and now God does this incredible thing in Abraham's life. Pick up the story with me. Genesis 22, verse 1. Abraham's test, God's reality. Now it came about after these things, the things I just described in Genesis 21, that God tested Abraham. Now some of you just need to mark that in your Bible just in case you wondered if the Bible really taught that God tests people. There it is. God tested Abraham. Now, when we see something like that in our Bibles, we have to ask some questions like, what is the purpose of a test? In the Greek language, when you look at the word tempt and test, it's actually the same Greek word. It's parazo in Greek. And it depends on where the test is coming from that determines the purpose of the test. So when translators see parazo in the Greek New Testament and it's coming from the devil, it's a temptation. The devil tempted Jesus. Same Greek word. But when the word is used in the context of God doing it, then God's purposes are good. When the devil tempts you, he wants to do something bad. When God tests you, his intentions are good. What do you think his intentions might be if he tested you? One intention would be for you to grow. As I mentioned on Sunday, we don't grow the most in calm waters. We grow the most in what? Storm waters. And I said to you Sunday, being very honest and transparent, I don't like storms. I don't pray for them. But I do tend to grow in them. And it wasn't until the fourth watch of the night that Jesus came, remember, walking on the sea. Now, they were never out of his sight. He was praying up on the mountain. He saw them straining at the oars, but he waited six to eight hours until he came to them. And what was he showing them? That in your own strength, you're not going to accomplish, you're not going to get to the intended destination in your own strength. You're only going to do it by the strength that I provide. And I'm going to come to you when you're poured out, when you're done, when you're empty, when it doesn't make sense. And then I'm going to come to you and show you my power is perfected in weakness. Another thing that is so anti our humanity. We want to do it ourselves. We want to be able to look back and say, I did that. Kudos to me. But God doesn't work that way. God does want us to bend to his will, but God wants to make sure that we know he's the one doing it. So the Hebrew word here is nasa. It's transliterated for test, N-A-C-A-H. And God's intentions are good when he tests us. But sometimes when we think of a test, we're thinking of personal growth, and that's true. Tests are often for personal growth, but they're not just for personal growth. In fact, Abraham's test in Genesis 22 is much deeper than that. Abraham's test is for the purpose to show 
what is coming. This particular test is to show the way of salvation. In fact, when Abraham goes through the test, what he's really going to discover is how he himself is saved or will be saved, if you want to put it that way. His test was for future generations to come to know the glory of God. His test was for people to see that even when God asks you something that makes absolutely no sense, if you will walk by faith and not by sight, maybe you'll see things that you never imagined you would see. In fact, in John chapter 8, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, Jesus said, and he was glad. What did Abraham see? How did Abraham see Jesus' day? We're going to find out. And I believe that what Abraham saw was a picture of the gospel, a picture of what God would do. You see, it was just a test for Abraham, but for God, it was a reality. And we'll see that as the text, text goes on. Sometimes when we go through tests, they're not even just for us. They're for others around us. Maybe they're even for future generations. And he said to him, as God tests in verse 1, he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. I'd like to say in my own life that anytime I sense God's voice, that's how I respond. I don't know about you. <laughs> I don't know if you ever, when you hear God pressing on you, if you ever say, God, I'm not available at the moment. God, could you leave me a voicemail? God, could you call me later? No, when Abraham is called by God, he says, here I am. Do you say that? If God was to break into your schedule, if God was to say, take a moment for that person right now, do you say, here I am? Do you say, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, here I am, Lord, send me? Or do you say, Lord, I, I heard you, but could you send someone else? Could you send those professional workers into your harvest field? Because I know a lot of them are paid staff in your churches. Well, God does use those people, but he uses all of us. And so Abraham's faith is going to be stretched. And here he is. God is calling him. And Abraham is about to act out something incredible. And God says in Genesis 22:2, take now your son, your only son whom you love. Note these words are terms of endearment. Why does God put it this way? Because Ishmael is gone. And in God's sight, this is the legitimate son because he is the son of promise. He says, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. And uh, this is probably 14 to 16 years uh, after. And he says, go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering. What I mean to say there is that Isaac is older now. He's not three anymore. He's probably a late teenager at this point. And he is to take this son, his only son, whom he loves, and he's to go to the land of Moriah. And what does God tell him? And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Can you imagine getting that message? Can you imagine the confusion that you 
would feel in your soul. Take your son, your only son whom you love, the one that I promised, the one that was a miracle child, the one that brought laughter to you and the camp and everybody else, the one who was a constant source of joy, the son of promise, through whom your seed will be called and named and kill him. What? Could you repeat that? But do you know that in this text, not once do you ever hear Abraham say why. Not once do you hear him question. Now, there's a three-day journey that's going to take place, and I have all kinds of conjecture about what Abraham might have been muttering and praying and thinking. I wonder about how his night's sleep was that night because he woke up early the next morning, but we have no record of any whining, no record of any questioning, no record of any why, why me, how could you do this to me? None of that, just obedience. Go to the land of Moriah and offer your son as a burnt offering. I'm gonna show you that land. One writer says, to an ancient Middle Easterner, a burnt offering suggested a process. First, cutting the offering's throat then dismemberment, then a sacrifice by fire in which the body parts were completely consumed on the altar. A burnt offering, folks, left a heap of ashes. That's it. No more Isaac. No more laughter. He's done. Now, if you're Abraham and you live in this time and you hear God say that and you imagine the finality of that moment that he's a pile of ashes, what would you do with that? Would your faith be being stretched? Oh, no doubt. This is, this is the hardest thing that anybody I can think of in the Bible's asked to do outside of what Jesus did for us. I'm gonna tell you of the mountain and I want you to offer him. This is the horror Abraham imagined with his own son as the sacrifice. I want you to kill laughter. I'm sure at this point, all laughter in Abraham fled away. Sometimes in life, it seems like things can turn on a dime and we can be having a pretty good day and we get some news or we get a bad break or things don't go our way. Man, it can happen fast. And Abraham, you know, he was whistling while he worked. He was enjoying this kid. He was counting his blessings. And then the bomb dropped from heaven. You know, sometimes the unexpected, right, from God is where this news comes from. And now Abraham had to learn to trust God again. Abraham's been on a journey of faith, and he's been learning what it means to trust God And his biggest test really comes at the end of his story. And I believe that this is how God does things in our life. Sometimes our biggest tests come after times of preparation. And then God puts us to the test and he wants to stretch us. Paul said, I've learned the secret of contentment. We often have to learn it through difficult times and hard lessons. I want you to notice in verse 2, Uh, He says to take your son and go to the land of Moriah, the land of Moriah. Everybody, if you are a note taker, write down 2 Chronicles 3.1, 2 Chronicles 3.1. I'm going to read it for you. And it says, then Solomon began to build the house 
of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, 2 Chronicles 3.1, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. At the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. The word holy in the Hebrew picture language means that which comes out of the threshing floor. David built the temple on Mount Moriah. It was originally a threshing floor that he purchased from a Jebusite. And that site was on Mount Moriah. So the place that God tells Abraham to go is a three-day journey, probably on foot here. And that three-day journey goes to Mount Moriah, and Mount Moriah is Jerusalem. So what you need to know is that what the Bible is telling us is that this scene, which is 2,000 years before Christ, is going to occur on the site where the temple in Jerusalem would stand. And remember, that temple did not stand yet. This was yet future. It would come, it would be on David's heart. David would have it on his heart. Solomon would build the temple, and the site on which he built it would be the site where Abraham, thousands of years before, acted out this scene where he raised the knife. This was indeed holy ground. Think about it this way. Think about how many sacrifices occurred on this site throughout history. This was the temple. So in the temple courts, if you will, how many sacrifices of lambs and bulls and goats took place there? Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. This ground had been set apart. And when God directed Abraham towards the land of Moriah, specifically to Mount Moriah, there was a specific purpose in mind. And the purpose was that God would uh, fulfill his uh, picture here of the ultimate sacrifice there on Mount Moriah. Uh, I was looking up this location, and one uh, source says, Mount Moriah is the name of the elongated north-south stretch of land lying between the Kidron Valley and the Haggai Valley, between Mount Zion to the west and the Mount of Olives to the east. There is archaeological evidence that Jesus was crucified on Mount Moriah. Calvary, or Golgotha, as many of us know it, would be near the top or summit of the mountain. In other words, Mount Moriah encompasses the area of the temple mount to the area of Golgotha, or Gordon's Calvary. If you've ever seen pictures of Gordon's Calvary, or if you've ever got a chance to go to Jerusalem, one of the interesting things about this particular site, and it's there today, is that when you look at the hillside where they believe that Jesus died, and either on the hill or the road beneath, what you see is something that looks like a skull. It actually looks like a skeleton's head. And you can just see kind of the face of it there. And it's an interesting picture because Golgotha actually means the place of the skull, and if Jesus died in front of Golgotha, it's as if death was mocking him or laughing at him as he died there. And so interestingly enough, if that sight looked that way back in Abraham's day, when he lifted up his eyes as he headed to the land of Moriah, what he would have seen is some interesting uh, topography, if you will. He would have seen this particular sight. So Abraham, verse 3, rose... What's your Bible say? 
early in the morning. Wouldn't you have slept in? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I would have been bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to carry out God's will on this day. I think I would have moved a little slower, saddled the donkey, had a little less of a pace. But Abraham wakes up early in the morning. I'm not sure he got much sleep. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him, Isaac and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Abraham's obedience was immediate. How about you and me? There's a lot of people that won't even wake up for church on a Sunday morning, let alone go and do something like this and wake up early to accomplish God's will. What do you think Abraham was thinking as he woke up and journeyed on? Maybe something like this. How can God keep his promise if I sacrifice Isaac? God can't lie, so how will he remain true to his word, to his very nature, if I do this? Yet with all the questions and conjectures that we could have, Abraham obeyed, and on the third day, verse 4, Abraham raised up his eyes, and he saw the place from a distance. In John eleven forty one, 41, when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, the Bible says he raised up his eyes to pray. Many times when we think about prayer, in our, in our culture, we think of lowering your head in prayer, and that's, that can be appropriate, and we do see that in the Bible, getting on your knees, getting on your face, lowering your head, closing your eyes, perhaps, to help you focus. But in many cases, Jewish people actually raised up their eyes. Do you ever notice that sometimes when a prayer is happening, if you happen to lift up your head and you see somebody else with their eyes open, you begin to judge them? Can I get a witness? I why aren't they? That's not the proper posture of prayer. <laughs> then why are you looking at them with your eyes open? Boy, are we quick to judge sometimes. You know, sometimes we judge the way people worship. We think, well, that person can't be worshiping unless they've got their hands up in the air. That's not true. Some people don't sing because they, they want to spare your ears. Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> Some people are reflecting on the words. Don't be quick to judge people just because they're not doing it the way you do. And Abraham raising up his eyes, it may imply that he was praying. I don't know for sure, but... The Bible says here, he raised up his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. He looked and he saw the place. Did he see that site of Golgotha specifically? Did he see the place of the skull? I don't know for sure, but this is the location where he's led. And Abraham said to his young men, verse five, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and we will worship and return to you. So Abraham makes a statement of faith here. He's confident that they will return. Both of them. We will go worship and we will return to you. How could Abraham think that? How could he conclude if he was going to be true to God's uh, command to him that anybody would come back except one? But he says, we're going to go. And I want you to notice, he says, we're going to go and worship and we're going to return. Most scholars believe that Abraham knew he was acting out prophecy. Here's one clue. It's found in Hebrews 11. Let's turn over there. Hebrews 11. 
We're going to look at the hall of faith here. Abraham is a prominent character in the great hall of faith. It's Hebrews 11. Let's take a look. Hebrews 11, we're going to pick it up at verse 17. Here's what it says. Hebrews 11, 17. It says, by faith, Hebrews eleven seventeen. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Reminds us of John three sixteen. Genesis 22 is one of the most majestic chapters in all the Bible. And it's an incredible prophecy way back in the book of Genesis. We have a picture of the gospel. You know, we talked about prophecy from the book of Psalms, for example, a thousand years before Christ was born or Isaiah 700 years before he's born or Micah 500 years. But how about back in Genesis, a prophecy about the coming Messiah? Yes, it's true. Way back in Genesis 22 is a picture of the gospel. The son of promise has come. Isaac is a type of Christ. He's a a miracle child born to them in their old age. The son of promise, the line from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, ultimately to the Messiah. And now God asks something incredible of Abraham. He tells him to take the son of promise, the son of laughter, this miracle child and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain that he would show Abraham. Can you imagine, you know, waiting 25 years for a promise to come to fruition, having it come to pass in a miraculous way, only then to face the reality that God's going to take it away? You know, oftentimes in life, folks, we go through times when God comes through and he does something miraculous in our lives, and then all of a sudden, it looks like he's going to take it away. And we say, Lord, what are you up to? I don't understand the big picture here. And you know what, folks? I'm not sure Abraham completely understood the picture either, but he was obedient. But God was painting a picture that 2,000 years later on that same mountain, Mount Moriah, God, God the Father, would give his son, his only son, the son of promise. And so Abraham was obedient, and he went to the mountain, and he went off with the lad and he said, we're going to go worship and we're going to return to you. He was confident that they would come back again, that if nothing else, God would perform a resurrection, which indeed did happen when his own son did die. But as we all know the story, when Abraham raised the knife, the angel of the Lord spoke to him from heaven, called to him and told him, don't touch the boy. I know that you love me. I know that you obey me. I know that you trust me. And then God provided. In the book of Genesis, it says, In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. A ram caught in the thicket. And you know, when we think about Mount Moriah in Genesis 22, and we're going through our own Mount Moriah experiences where God has asked maybe more of us than we can handle, we need to know that God always has a bigger picture in mind. And in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.